Hello, this is Michael Fanning, and I'm the host of the Windermere Coaching Minute. This is our quick form podcast where we'll talk to Windermere agents who bring creative ideas, power strategies, and successful routines to light. In each episode, we'll talk to real estate professionals to learn what they have done that have allowed them to be better than they were yesterday. Please enjoy our podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Galindo, and welcome to the Winnipeg Minute Coaching Podcast. I'm your host for today's call, and I'm really excited to have on our, our call today, Dana Adams. Dana, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Dana, the reason we wanted to have you on is, among other things that you do really well, you're kind of known in the industry as the new construction specialist. And really, that's what I want us to talk about today is maybe your background in new construction would get you excited about helping builders and developers, how you got into that side of the business and all that stuff. Uh, before I uh, launch into that, though, uh, Dana has distinguished herself as a managing broker. She's a master certified new construction specialist, master certified negotiation expert, and she's a graduate of the University of Washington. And not to be outdone, proud mom of four great sons. She's also the author of a book and a companion uh, guide called Live Your Gift. Dana, I recall when you started in the real estate industry a number of years ago, I happened to work in the same office uh, with you. I mean, what? tell our audience, what prompted you to get into real estate? What, what got you excited about helping buyers and sellers? Well, the story goes way back uh, to when I was um, younger than 10 and Real estate was the one job that my mom had in Northern California that I think she was really proud about how well she did. Uh, I can remember her being named Rookie of the Year, and uh, she started to talk to me about, you know, when you own your own business, you get out of it what you put into it. And so uh, back in the day, she used to pay me, I think it was a nickel per letter to address her open house invitations. And I just think that that stuck with me, um, being able to be independent, my own boss, um, with an opportunity to make, I guess, the, the amount of money that my effort determined I was interested in making. I think we had the same mom. My mom sold real estate in Northern California. Now, I wasn't paid a nickel a page. I did it for free. Uh, because <laughs> if you like my cooking, you just get to... Help mom with a real estate career. That's, that's interesting. We have similar backgrounds. So, um, you know, a lot of what we do is is helping people. And and I often say that we're in the service industry. We're in the people business. I think the sales part of, of what we do is kind of an outpouring of doing great customer service. And I think a lot of us in real estate are people-centric. Would you agree with that? Would you define that as your career as well? Absolutely. I mean, they're the connection to how we conduct our business and make transactions with homes and condos and land. And um, it's, you know, they're, they are an essential pivotal part of what we do from day to day. So yes, you, you best like to be around people. <laughs> and now in your, in your 28th uh, year in business, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wrote down that you're uh, an 11 year five star professional award winning agent recognized by both Forbes and Fortune magazine for outstanding sales and services. Congratulations. Way to go. Thank you. So tell us about how you were introduced to new construction. What got you excited about helping builders and developers? 
Yeah. So it's uh, way back to my first year being in the business. Um, I was at the same office with you in Redmond, as you mentioned, and I was about six months in, I had had uh, a sale and a listing at that point. And there was a gal in the office who had been sitting at a new construction site. And she determined that the timing wasn't going to work for her anymore. And what they were looking for was someone to fill a two-day slot. Uh, the model home was open seven days a week back then. Um, the plat had about 25 homes. And I was raising my hand like, absolutely. Um, I can remember when I was younger, visiting the Street of Dreams. Uh, did you go to that? Uh, every year. Yeah. So yeah. always just so impressed with the beautiful homes and um, seeing how the model homes were just like so picture perfect. And I just thought to myself, you know what, if I am going to be doing work anyway, I would love to sit in a nice home. Um, and back then that was a plat that was built by Murray Franklin, who's still around. And uh, one of the builders um, under Murray Franklin at the time. And I mean, I, I loved it. And it just so happened that the listing agent of that plat really turned in to be my mentor in the business. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us about, do, do were you sitting the site for them? It wasn't seven days a week, was it? Did you have new construction uh, site work? Did, were you also selling resale homes as well? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was still working on the resale side of the business and really what the blessing was of the opportunity and the timing. Um, I was there two days a week to start, but in meeting the listing agent, um, whose name was Tim Cowan, and he is he was a Windermere agent at the time in Bellevue, um, but he was also starting to get into development, and he was the one that had found all of the land and the plats for uh, many builders, and so he was really an expert in land acquisition all the way through the development permitting process and then the listing and sales side. Um, he had been doing it long enough though that he wasn't necessarily wanting to be the front interface with the people that were coming through. Uh, he was really more interested in sort of being more in the background and he literally allowed me to shadow him uh, for an entire year of going to people's homes, driving around and looking at land, hearing him talk through that process in his mind, uh, going to the cities uh, to speak with the planning departments and public works. And so I had an incredible opportunity to learn from someone who was very gifted at what he did. And it was interesting because he was very opposite me. And I think this was why it was such a great fit was that I am more of an introvert by nature. And he is completely extroverted, super social, would talk to anybody. But it allowed me to observe him, somebody who was naturally gifted in that way, and learn to become more comfortable myself when I was in those sorts of situations talking with homeowners and um, the, the builders and evaluating land. And so it was uh, really an incredible opportunity that I was given. 
Yeah, I think I love it. Invaluable experience when you have something like Tim that you get to, you said shadow and, and yeah. you know, go on appointments with, listen to him, you know, uh, talk to buyers and sellers or landowners. I, I remember early in my career working for a, a gal by the name of Kathy Magner, who you may remember, yeah. to shadow Kathy for two years, going to her listing appointments and all that stuff. And it, I just learned so much from just sitting in the corner, listening to her, much like you do with Tim. I think that's great. How many builders have you represented or do you represent uh, in the course of your career? And maybe give us like, what's the greatest challenge that you face with, with that type of business? Yeah, so over the course of the 28 years, I actually went back and looked at this very closely. Uh, I counted 25 different builders. And some of those I worked with a time or two. And several of them, I have been working with since that first year that I was able to sit at the new home site. Um, so I'm proud, of, really proud of that. Um, Murray Franklin and Hamish Anderson Custom Homes. Uh, there are a couple of the names that some people might recognize, but to be able to still have those relationships, I really think it speaks to what a fit it was for me. And um, that's primarily that the builders became my customers mm -hmm. and I had a handful of them uh, really learned what they were looking for at about a half a dozen sort of um, when I got rolling in the uh, acquisition part of finding the land. And um, it, it really helped me because they didn't require a lot of handholding um, like some of our clients may and also like as an introvert, it really allowed me to have these amazing relationships with a few customers versus a lot of customers. And, um, you know, we all know that when we work on the resale side of the business, like sometimes we're interacting with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. What I, I want our audience to know, um, you mentioned that you've had some of these relationships going back 28 years. That's really difficult to do. Like you, I you know did a lot of work in the new construction space early in my career. It was a big part of how I earned my income and kind yeah. of got my feet wet in real estate. And and fostering those relationships over time is not easy. So congratulations to you for that. Um, so what you know that I know one of the challenges that we have in that side of the business is trying to find suitable land. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the process there. If we've got people that are on this call or listening, thinking about, gee, I'd like to start working with builders and developers, but I don't know where to start. Or, I mean, finding a piece of dirt uh, is a good way to begin, but that's not easy. Maybe tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, it is, it is an easy and definitely having that front seat view of how Tim went about doing that uh, was really invaluable. And uh, the first land sale that I got under my belt was actually from a door knock. And um, I also was very intentional about where I wanted to work geographically. And uh, so I was raised and grew up in Kirkland and I've lived here, you know, most of my life. And uh, it's just an area that I felt I knew very, very well. And Kirkland into West Bellevue, some Redmond, those were really focus points for Tim also. So it really started with a willingness to strike up a conversation with homeowners. And that was either through a door knock or it would have been through a mailing program that we had. 
that was done fairly consistently. It was fairly generic and it's really a numbers game as well as um, establishing some consistency. And so from that standpoint, I've actually, I've had some, some sales where owners will call me and they tell me that they put my letter in their folder and it will be like four years later right. <laughs> is the date on the letter that they first received. So I think that um, the cycle that I would mail to, it allowed them to see my name. And then when the time was right, uh, they generally would give a call and they wanted to have a conversation about how that would work. So are they getting multiple letters from you then over the course of that time? Yeah, of course, a lot of letters. And also a lot of the, a lot of the sellers, unfortunately, because they're not necessarily represented, mm -hmm. they may enter into a contract that then really favors the builder. Mm -hmm. And there could be really unrealistic uh, feasibility timeframes and, you know, wiggle room for the buyer to get out that is definitely not in the seller's best interest. Uh, so integrity, the integrity piece of what I do was absolutely at the forefront. Um, I know of builders that would not even see a property and they would get it under contract um, and figure they would kind of deal with it later. And not only was that like not in my best interest, that that isn't the type of reputation that I wanted to have, especially in the community that I live and work. But like that just felt off to me. And it's like what time is the you know, the one asset that we have, it's like, it's limited and it's valuable. And so it was really important for me to choose to work with people that I felt also had a high level of integrity and that I could then work as a facilitator. Um, even though the vast majority of the time I was representing uh, the builder as the buyer, but it allowed me to have a conversation with them about how it works. And um, in my opinion, it's better if there's a little bit of pressure on everyone to keep the ball rolling. And so sometimes I wasn't necessarily the first one in, but uh, the follow-up was great because then I was trying to place their property with a, a builder that might've been looking for something just like they yeah. had. I love that you, know, time, you mentioned time is the one commodity that we don't get back. When, when that hour's gone or that day is gone, that week is gone, we never get to relive it. It's just gone. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned reputation. I think it's really important. I, you know, we we both know of, of builders or agents that might be less than scrupulous. Let's just use that term. Um, and attaching your name to, to those folks as opposed to the Murray Franklins and the Hamish mm -hmm. Andersons of the world that have great reputations, I think is key uh, for your, you know, reputation in the brokerage community. And I always tell agents, we all we all get to chant we all have a reputation right and we get to be the keeper of that reputation whether it's good or bad we get to decide what that is based on our affiliations and how we do our business mm -hmm. um so i mean i asked you about you know uh some of the challenges what, what are some of the benefits of working with the builders other than you know um you know lots of uh, new listings tell me about some of the benefits yeah. well so th there are a few for sure um and a couple i mentioned so having fewer consistent clients was definitely an advantage to me. I was more comfortable with that rather than 
sometimes when you're working with a new buyer, you know, there's sort of this uncomfortable conversation that you have to get going. And some people are fabulous at it. And for me, it can be a little uncomfortable. Um, so number one was the types of relationships that I was able to have. Um, the second part of that was that I was able to then demonstrate to them that I loved being involved from the beginning of them uh, evaluating the piece of property all the way until the construction was done and then being able to market and sell it, which was an unusual skill set to have both sides. Uh, so that was an advantage. Also, I was, uh, you know, starting to have a family. And the beauty was when I would go out to look at property, I could have my babies in the backseat <laughs> and go with me. Um, I can remember uh, my oldest son's dad, he used to bring his name. My oldest son is James. He used to bring James to me so that in a break between people coming in an open house at a new construction site, I could go feed James. <laughs> um, but so the, the flexibility being able to show up to my kids events and and also um, me knowing what the expectation was of what the builder was looking for and really a lot of the homework that I did up front on the land or that evaluation process I were I was taking care of some of those initial um, considerations even before the builder knew that I was looking at a property and that you know, was things like checking on the zoning and, you know, if, if it was something that was subdividable or it was a multifamily, you know, how many lots would that be in that current area zoning and um, sort of trying to formulate an image in my mind of what the best use of the property was. Mm -hmm. And then really like respecting their time um, because sometimes, you know, it, um, if you're sending a letter out, you don't necessarily know every single person personally. And so if I got a call or a lot of times, some of the early calls that would come in were the most challenging pieces of property. And so I know as, as agents, it, it's easy. Like if something hits the market and you're like, oh my gosh, this looks amazing. And then you send it off and, you know, and then the client or the builder, they, they get the listing. They're like, did you even look at this? Like, this is on a super, super steep slope and there's a bunch of wetlands. Like, yeah, yeah. that's a, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about that. I, I think quite often as I'm running into agents that are asking questions about vacant lots and working with builders and well, here's an acre piece and we think we can get six units. I'm like, well, okay, but it's close to a busy road. You've got wetlands in the back. Yeah. Um, you have to have a certain amount of, of, of room for easements. Mm -hmm. ingress and egress and you know all of a sudden that acre isn't six lots it might be four lots um right. and so it, which is a huge difference for a builder right because if they get two fewer units that's not going to pencil for them at the end of the day right and that's city. how we establish valuation too yeah and, yeah and going to the city or the municipalities the planning departments I mean, that takes a lot of time that takes mm -hmm. a lot of um time and energy to go and ask questions of the, the planning desk to find out what you can do with that lot yeah, for sure. And that's all the more reason why being very focused in a specific area or city, um, in my opinion, it's the way to go because they're each different in how they operate. And, um, you know, as it is, you know, there are many, many different zoning codes 
mm-hmm. in Kirkland. And you're right. I mean, they all have different setbacks and requirements for roads. And, uh, you know, if the property's on a corner, it's like there's so many nuances that if if I, you know, my opinion, if someone is more specialized in the area that they're focused on finding property, um, it is much more advantageous. And, you know, again, um, being considerate of time and mm-hmm. spending that time wisely. Yeah, so I, I agree. It's um, it, it it can be. I think the rewards. I obviously, I did it for a very long time, like you. I far outweighed the the challenges, uh, of which there were many. But the, I think the rewards of of just watching a, a piece of dirt go mm-hmm. from uh, you know this vacant lot uh, to, through the building process. Mm-hmm to handing a set of keys to a new homeowner and you know the joy that we get from being able to help them through that process, not just the building, yeah. helping somebody find their dream home, place where they can you know, raise their family. I, I just, there's something really fulfilling about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, I think you know one of the biggest advantages was that once the land was sold and you know, I mean, this was a philosophy of Tim's and you know, there are some agents that will forego a commission on the land sale in order to list the property on the back end. And like Tim's advice for me uh, and my advice for anyone else would be that you always pay yourself first because they're not legally obligated to us. We cannot make the builder sign something that promises that they'll list it back. That's another reason why choosing very selectively who you work with and someone that has a good reputation is so important because, you know, that the incredible power of multiplying, starting with one piece of property. So it's either just, you know, one single family home, or if it's something they can subdivide, it could be multiple So there is a payday when the property closes, and then there's this ability to look down the pipeline and roughly estimate when they might have permits, when they would start construction, and when that would be finished and have an opportunity to list, and then a potential second paycheck down the road as listing agents. Paychecks. Yeah, paychecks. And I can remember even uh, a couple of times this happened, very, you know, unusual, but so there was the land sale, the listing agent, Um, some clients didn't have an agent, they were okay uh, working with me on both sides, whether that meant I just represented the seller or I worked as a dual. Um, Again, that's not the normal practice, uh, but a few times it happened and And then occasionally that buyer had something to sell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's like four real estate transactions, but most of the time at a minimum, I know that if I sell a piece of property that there is going to be something in the future. Yeah. 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 Uh, What to switch gears uh, slightly? And there's a little, I don't want to say fear and apprehension, but um, for those that are listening to the podcast that maybe don't have a lot of experience selling new construction as a buyer's broker, I know that there are builders that have their own forms. There are uh, builders that have supplemental addendums that they use to supplement the NWMLS forms. 
Uh, maybe share with us, you know, what what how what does that process look like for the builders you represent? Do they use MLS forms? Do they have supplemental forms that they use? Builder denim specification sheets, that sort of thing. Maybe explain that. Sure. So most of the builders do have supplemental forms. I mean, primarily we're using MLS uh, purchase and sale agreements and the basic addendums that you would use in any other transaction, and then. Typically, there's a supplemental builder addendum that addresses uh, some of the buyer process that the builder wants to set. Um, and, you know, that's clarified that that would supersede another provision that might be in the standard agreement. And then if a home wasn't completed yet, it was a, a pre-sale, then oftentimes there is a specifications addendum, which really calls out all of the finishes and the materials that are intended to be used in home. And then occasionally there's a builder warranty, either their own or a warranty that they purchase, like the 210 warranty. And then that is really, um, you know, laying out for the buyer uh, what kind of coverage they have. If they're buying a home through that builder, what does that look like once they've closed on the home? So you mentioned that builders addendums have clauses that supersede other phrases in the in the NWMLS forms. Give us an example of, of what one of those superseding sure. clauses might be. One example might be the building inspection. So if the house is under construction, they they can't inspect it during construction. Um, so they would allow an inspection. Um, but you have to wait until the home has a certificate of occupancy or it's, you know, it's substantially completed. If the home is already completed, anybody that that I work with, they encourage inspections. And I, I would always encourage an inspection, even on new construction, because although the city may come and sign off on some of the major components, they're not necessarily looking at all of the finer details. And then you know, you may get electrical signed off um, in the beginning, and then they're still working on finishing the house and other trades come in the home and, you know, certain things can be knocked out of place or, you know, stop functioning. And the builder may not even completely be aware. So the addendum generally states that the buyer is welcome to have an inspection, but that the inspection is the, the purchase and sale agreement is not contingent on the inspection. They are disclosing that typically they'll address anything that is life, health, safety, or code related, and that it's up to their discretion um, to take care of or not anything else, because sometimes they feel those things are subjective to a building inspector and not necessarily like um, something that may harm the home. But generally speaking, that's what it calls out. So it's their clause is saying, you know, you can have an inspection, but on the terms that we're offering. So it, it's okay to have the inspection, but the purchase and sale is not subject to the findings of that. The builder, I think what I hear you saying is um, the buyer will allow the builder to fix or repair, make modifications for a certain period of time, right up to closing, after closing, how long after closing do they have a chance to, to do those repairs? Yeah, so so generally speaking, they want to address those items as quickly as possible. So oftentimes that final walkthrough with the builder or the homeowner orientation may occur 
you know, like seven to 10 days prior to closing. Um, if it's in their control, they want to correct all of those items if possible before a buyer moves in. Sometimes that's not feasible if it's a replacement part or, you know, they can't get a tradesman out in that amount of time. So there's also generally a provision in the contract that would allow them to come back, you know, say within a 30 day period of time, or, you know, if it's longer, if they have to stipulate because um, it's, you know, a longer order than that time. But generally speaking, they're trying to wrap everything up within 30 days of closing. Yeah. So, so build a addendum or a supplemental form and then a specification sheet that basically outlines how the home will be built unless they, the buyer makes some modifications. Do you ever get a chance to do like upgrades? Um, is there an upgrade list for most builders? If we didn't want a particular countertop or particular floor covering, could we make upgrades? So that depends. <laughs> it depends on the builder. It depends on their philosophy um, and their preference about making changes or not. Uh, lately, because of the market that we've had, and it's, you know, it, we've had a bit of an adjustment, but the market still, you know, it's lower inventory. Things are moving pretty quickly. The vast majority of the builders who are building spec product prefer to make all the selections and build the house to those. Occasionally, um, if it's if it's early on and the builder is receptive to it, then you know yes, there are some and and like Hamish Anderson Custom Homes would be an example of that. They're used to building beautiful high-end custom homes, so the idea of allowing a buyer um, purchase one of their spec homes that doesn't um, seem like a big challenge to them. Like they already have the systems in place to deal with making unique selections. Generally speaking, uh, those are not priced out until after you have a purchase and sale agreement established because it's time consuming to get the prices. And, um, you know, so, but if you're representing a buyer who's buying new construction and they know, say they want, they really want to pick out a certain appliance or they really like a certain type of carpet or um, wall color. If they can catch those things, uh, if the carpet hasn't been ordered, you know, some of those last details, if they can influence them, generally speaking, the builders will be open to that. Um, but lots of changes like countertops, cabinets, um, unless you catch that really like before it's coming out of the ground or just right when it's being framed, you know, more than likely they're not going to want to work with full customizations. Yeah, that that's a great point. It's there's a difference between a custom home builder and a spec builder. Somebody who who says this is barring a few minor changes, this is the house we plan to build. We're going to build a bunch of these, and the more time we take to make changes and corrections or upgrades, uh, you know, time is money, and the more time we take to build this house, um, the more challenging it is to move on to the next project. For I, sure. I, I remember some of the builders that we worked with back in the day that. Uh, the builder would give them the no thank you price. Okay, <laughs> clients, okay, well, we're going to charge you like five times more than what it's worth because you really don't want to do it. But if you want to pay the money, we'll, you know, we'll absorb the, the time it's going to take to order it, but you're going to pay a handsome price for it. So it was the no, no thank you price. <laughs> um, so how do they handle property disclosure statements or form 17? How do they tip, do they allow for those? I mean, can, how do they fill them out if the house isn't done? Uh, so, Depending on the size of the builder, 
uh, some of the larger home builders, they won't really provide uh, a disclosure statement. There'll be something in one of their addendums, a clause in one of their addendums that states, you know, they've never lived in the house. It's brand new. They don't have any thing. And so um, that's basically their disclosure. They don't, you know, they're just going to, they don't know. <laughs> Buyer beware and complete your due diligence and have an inspection. Um, but most of the, the builders that I work with, you know, who are on the smaller side, they will complete an actual Form 17. Um, there's the section, of course, they don't necessarily have to fill out. Um, some of them will try to be helpful to the buyer. Like if, you know, they, they're aware of the property and what it took to uh, get permit and, and dig a hole. Some of them are much more about um, even, even offering the information, even though it might be in the title report, offering that information to point it out to the buyer. Like, you know, this is important. Like one of the things that would be an example of that is in a lot of municipalities now we have tree retention requirements and the cities actually make them record something against title that, you know, no, you may have these big evergreens near the house and buyers are like, oh my gosh, like that's scary. What if it falls on my house? Well, when they ask the question, you know, could we trim those or take them out? You really, you can't, unfortunately, because that was one of the stipulations for the builder getting approval for the plat in the first place was retaining certain amount of trees for a certain number of years. So, um, so some of them are, are really open because they, you know, they understand that that impacts a buyer and they figure, you know, that the more they know, the better. Um, some of the others really just kind of go through the whole form as a formality and everything's like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which can be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And then to the, you know, again, supporting the reason why the buyer should really have an inspection. So I final question, I, I, we've got a lot of people that are listening to this that again, might be new or newer to real estate and maybe haven't had much um, experience showing new construction or selling new construction. There's a certain amount of fear and trepidation, if you will, having gone through the, never gone through the process before. Um, and this really applies to more of the some of the national builders that aren't offering buyer broker commissions, or they're you know the, it's a fraction of what we would normally get. Um, talk to us about uh, site registration. Is it necessary? The best way to do that. If I've got a buyer that wants to go take a look at your twenty-five lot plat someplace, do I accompany them? Do I call you ahead of time? What does that process look like? To ensure that we get paid. Yeah, I think that the safest bet is to always assume that you will need to accompany the buyer. And I think it's like, it's not only a need, but I think it should be something that agents want to do um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, really like proving our value to them um, in accompanying them to a site. You're also providing an introduction as a liaison to whoever may be at the site and then represents the builder. So I think putting a name with a face of the people that you may be following up with um, is really important. And I think we're actually gonna have a great opportunity with the new buyer agency change to educate the buyers early on. Um, 
because as we know, sometimes we work with buyers, they think that they're going to buy a resale home and then, and then suddenly they trip upon this new construction site and they want to go in and they're curious. And then it's really exciting because everything's, <laughs> it's new. And so I think it's an opportunity to have a conversation with the buyers, not only about how we work, but how new construction sites work. And that, you know, absolutely, if they're interested in that, that you can show them. Um, and there's just more of a thoughtful process that you want to have behind it so that you are representing them in the best light and it ensures that you get paid. Um, you know, some, some of the sites I, I was talking to some of the listing agents very recently are really hard line on that. And some of them are like, you know, we're trying to be agent friendly. Um, but they also don't want to do the agent's job. They, they represent the builder and they're not even in a position. My understanding, a couple of them that I spoke to, they don't even work as a dual agent or they don't even just represent the seller and still earn the other commission. Like that's usually on those sites. That's either going to go to a selling agent or it's just going to stay in the builder's hands. So really that buyer is really unrepresented. Um, so that is certainly not in their interest. And so I just think it's our responsibility to help them understand that upfront. And in a worst case scenario, they pull into a place and someone stops them from the site. They can say right away, you know, I'm working with Joe. I just want to be really upfront about that. Here's his card. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You, you mentioned, you know, Putting a name to a face, I think it's really important that if we're representing a buyer, uh, now ob ob obviously some from time to time, as you said, they identify you know they want to live in a, 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 a ten year old property and they drive by a new construction flat, get super excited about uh, you know living in a new home. Maybe they didn't have that conversation with their agent. Uh, those things happen from time to time, but when we can put them in a car, take them to the side shake Dana's hand, introduce ourselves. I think putting that name to the face on the front end helps with the with, with the process of getting that property sold. I mean, talk about um, uh, various levels of conversations you're having with people through the home building process. Mm -hmm. Buying a 20-year-old home is one thing. Mm -hmm. Seeing it from uh, a concrete foundation uh, to fully uh, completed and landscape is a timely process. It takes a lot of time, right? And you yes. spend a lot of time on the phone with that that listing broker or the, yeah. the broker representing the, the builder and boy, having a good relationship with that person uh, only helps the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Dana, it's been a pleasure to have you on. If people wanted to uh, reach out to you, they have questions for you. Is there a phone number you can leave with us and or an email address where people can reach out if they got questions about what we've talked about today? Absolutely. Uh, the email is my name with middle initials. So it's Dana, D-A-N-A-V as in Victor. Adams, A-D-A-M-S, at windermere.com. And the phone number is 425-466-3262. Nina, thanks for being on today. This was a lot of fun. It was. Thanks, Joe. Really great to have the conversation with you. So if you have questions about what you heard today, please feel free to reach out uh, to me at joe at joegalindocoaching.com. If you have any ideas or topics you'd like to hear in the future, or you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can also reach out. And if you've got questions about the coaching program, also uh, reach out to us. Love to talk to you more about what the coaching program looks like. 
And as we like to say at Windermere Coaching, be awesome and help someone. Have a great day. Well, we want to thank you for listening to our Windermere Coaching Minute. We hope you found this content helpful. If you did, please feel free to share it and give us a rating. And we'll always end our podcast by saying, be awesome and help somebody and make it a great day.